Don't you worry about a thing, except all that stuff we just brought up to make you worry about more things. <laughs> hey, can I just say, isn't it good to have Sam? Because I don't think anybody else could have done Stevie Wonder. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. Welcome to Parkview. Uh, let me tell you, uh, announce where we're at with our Daring Faith thing. If you're visiting, uh, we've been uh, raising the generosity around here so that we could get rolling on uh, another campus in New Lenox. And uh, we got our uh, church planter, Curly's here from uh, Dominican Republic that's going to be planting uh, a church down there. We got a lot of things getting ready to go on, and we needed to boost the, uh, boost the, boost the finances to make it happen. And so uh, we spent some time doing that. Um, a lot of encouraging things, okay? The good news, good news, and good news. Good news is your baseball teams are good, all right? So we're, we're, we got that off the table. Everybody's happy, right? Doesn't matter which side you're on, you're all good, okay? Um, the other good news is how many new people jumped in on this? How, how many people got involved and uh, how many of our people are in? We, we have uh, commitment numbers of about 3,500 people, representing 3,500 people in our congregation, and I want to say thank you to you, okay? That's me for you. Um, I told you up front, our budget's about $10 million a year. If we didn't do anything, we'd bring in 20 to $22 million, um, and um, we needed to push that, and, uh, and we did. Our total commitments totaled up at $31 million, ladies and gentlemen, so give yourselves a hand. We did it. I mean, really, we did. We did it. I, I mean, I know we were shooting for 35. We didn't make it yet, but we got, still got more commitments coming in, and uh, you're still welcome to join us if you haven't done it. And this is a two-year deal, so don't forget that. I mean, we still have time for God to do some amazing things. And uh, so we're taking our first jump offering uh, today. I mean, we're just not doing anything special, just at the end. Uh, we, we always do here, but um, have an offering. But my wife and I have written the largest check to this church we've ever done before. And I mean, the wedding's in like 26 days, you guys. So some daring faith for us, too, because we got, got all this going at the same time. Um, and, and I hope that you'll be able to jump in and, and join us. Let me pray for us, and then we'll talk. Lord, thank you for um, the fact that I don't have to worry about a thing because um, I know you're in charge. And I'm just so grateful for this church. I know. Um, I, I know it's not easy to talk about all this stuff. It's not easy to think about. But I think especially for this one, Lord, just for us to think about a big part of this, uh, what we're doing is a campus that most of these people probably won't even go to. Um, it's about somebody that we don't, maybe don't even know. And uh, that's why I love this so much. I'm so grateful. Thank you for our congregation and what's going on. Just be with us as we move forward. Lord, we, we, just, we just want your Holy Spirit to come in here and continue to do what you do. I'm so thankful that I just got to baptize a 20-year neighbor um, last service, and, and that's what I'm talking about. That th those are the stories. Might not be overnight, might not be tomorrow, but those are the stories, Lord, I'm excited about. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What keeps you up at night? Uh, somebody said this, Dear Sleep, I'm so sorry I hated you when I was little. Please forgive me. I want you back. Am I right or am I right? Remember when you were like a kid and you're like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to take a nap, right? And now you're like, oh, please, can I just fall asleep, right? That's how it goes. And, and, and they say that your best preaching comes out of your weakness. So that's what you're going to get today. Um, I suck at sleeping, okay? That's just all there is to it. I have a mild sleep apnea. 
Um, I got the machine, so, you know, now I sleep for a little while, but then I wake up and I got this mask on my face, you know, and I got to go to the bathroom anyway because I'm an old guy, and, you know, I've, it's, just, it's just worse now than it's ever been, and I've always been a light sleeper. I do everything I possibly can to sleep, you guys, I do. I mean, I have earplugs, I have white noise going on, I have a dark room, I hired James Taylor, he's up on the roof singing, up on a roof. I have Buddhist monks chanting in my room. Remember this from the Super Bowl? Bizarre commercial, I loved it. Doesn't that make you sleepy? I've hired Jeff Bridges to come and help me sleep. I've done all of those things. Sorry, random Super Bowl commercial. Okay, and here's the other thing I want to say, all right? Please don't give me your remedy. I have tried, I've tried magnesium. I've tried, you know, I've, I've tried absolutely everything, chamomile tea. There's absolutely nothing you're going to tell me that I haven't tried. In the words of JT, I tried Jack, I tried Jim, I tried all of their friends, and I, I can't sleep. I'm a bad sleeper. Um, honestly, I don't think it's that I um, am always trying to run the universe for God, but sometimes it is. Sometimes I'm excited. Sometimes, you know, I just got things, I just can't, there's no off button here. And I know some of us are more inclined that way than others. My, my wife could sleep through a hurricane, and, and you may be in that situation too. This is not about your sleep patterns, okay? This is about your relationship with God and how it is affected by the things that you worry about. La- latest stats that I've seen show that there that 40 million Americans have some kind of an anxiety disorder, all right? That's about 18%, almost 20%, almost one in five have some kind of an anxiety disorder, and that's between 18 and 54, okay? So a lot of us deal with this kind of a thing, and it keeps us up at night, and the rest of us know that there are times in our life when anxiety keeps us up at night. There's an old saying, uh, when you're having trouble counting sheep, you can always turn to the shepherd. That's basically what I'm talking about. Honestly, if you told me that in the middle of the night when I was trying to sleep and I couldn't, I would probably punch you in the head. But it's the truth. What I believe is that there is one who doesn't sleep, there's one who never slumbers and never sleeps. And I do believe that. And I believe that he's in charge of the universe. The problem is that every once in a while, I start to worry. I start to worry about a thing. Worry is defined as a small trickle of fear that meanders through your mind until it cuts a channel until which all other thoughts are drained. Isn't that absolutely accurate? You're like, oh, I'm just going just gonna to worry a little bit here for a minute. Oh, I wonder about this or I wonder about that. And all of a sudden, everything starts to get sucked into it. Worry is like this. It's like a rocking chair. Really comfortable. It's really awesome. I can get really busy in this chair, and I'm going nowhere, right? I'm going nowhere. So in Jesus' longest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most, one of the most important passages of Scripture in the Bible, there's this whole long passage on worry. 
That should, that should be curious to you. I mean, Jesus talks about loving your enemies in this passage. He talks about judging. He talks about divorce. He talks about adultery. He talks about prayer. And then he talks about worry. What, what, what is worry? The Greek word worry, merizo, it means to be pulled in different directions. To be pulled in different directions. So what that means is, what, what the problem with worry is, is that we're being pulled away from the things that God wants us to be pulled towards. That's why this was such an important thing for him. So he gets into Matthew chapter 6. And he starts this passage this way. I promise you this is the beginning. No one can serve two masters. All right? Remember that, that, that Marizzo is about being pulled in different directions. So he says, here's the deal. You can't serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Just one example. I know you're like, oh, come on, we're taking a big offering today. You're going to do that again? No, listen, that's, that's what it is. The number one thing that keeps us up at night is money and finances. Number one cause of divorce is money and finances. Number one thing that pulls us in a thousand directions is this. That's why the teaching is so important, but it's just one illustration of things that pull us a lot of different directions. Here's what Jesus says. First of all, don't worry about finances. He already said that part. Then he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Why? Because then you've got stuff to worry about. Lay it up in heaven. That's what he says. You know, I, I was talking to, you know, I was talking to our Dominican missionary who's here, our church planter who's here last week, and, and you know, he grew up in the DR. He grew up in the region where we're getting ready to plant this church, and we were talking about there's a place there, there's a slum area not too far away called The Hole. And, uh, and when we take people down there, that's where we want to take them so that they can see the hole where people are living in the most abject poverty you've ever seen in your life. And I was telling him about being in Kenya and, and being in the slums of Kenya, which are actually even worse than the hole. But the irony of being in those places and watching the people and watching the kids especially, I mean, they're, they're playing with, you know, milk cartons with wheels put on it for a truck, you know, and, and they don't have anything, and yet they seem so happy. And even, even their families, who are, are not sure, they're, they're going to be what Jesus talks about, not sure where their next meal is going to come from, I think sometimes it, 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 makes it, it makes it almost easier for them to live a normal existence because they don't have all the junk that's weighing them down. Now, that's why we're obviously working there, because we don't want them worrying about where their food's coming from or their clothes. But... Jesus told this parable about seed being thrown out on the, on the soil, and some of it grew a hundred times. And I've been talking around here. That's what this church is. This church is the result of good seed planted on good soil, and that's where we're going to sow more seed now because of daring faith. But he said, the seed falling among the thorns refers to the people who hear the word, and the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. And so finances is just one example. It's one of the few things that, that can raise up and choke out the things that are going on. So Jesus said, just lay up your treasures in heaven and don't worry about it. He goes on, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you eat or drink or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Of course not. So what, we'll keep going here. We'll keep going with the, with the finances. Don't worry about finances. Don't worry about food. 
Don't, t- don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. And again, you read this passage and you realize these are people in the first century. They didn't have Speedway to run up and grab a gallon of milk. They couldn't go to 7-Eleven. They, they had no grocery stores, and they probably had no money. So whatever they didn't grow or have already, it was pretty easy for them to run out of food. And, and, and so I'm thinking, well, I, I don't even know how this relates to me. Maybe, maybe they had it worse than me. Maybe not. And I've been reading this excellent book this week called Daring Greatly, Daring Greatly by Dr. Brene Brown, B-R-N-E Brown. She is a social scientist and a, a Ph.D., and she studies she's a researcher and um, she's talking about the society that we live in now and in daring greatly she says one of the problems that we have is scarcity scarcity and it's not and I was like wow really well I don't have scarcity I'm not missing any meals I'm not missing clothes like Jesus is talking about but she said no wait a minute think about it though How, how do you wake up every morning you wake up probably most of us and say I didn't get enough sleep right? And then you look at your calendar and you say, I don't have enough time. And then you look at your bank statement and you say, I don't have enough money. And we spend an enormous amount of time talking and worrying about not having enough. And she says that even though we have a lot in our world and a lot in our society, because our insomnia, our scarcity insomnia, is not about the fact that we're not going to find any. That's not the scarcity. The scarcity is the trauma of the fact that we know so much more about what is out there. The trauma of the fact that we've all lived through 9-11. I mean, there were tragedies and terrorism and bad things happening in Jesus' day, but they didn't watch it on live television. Now, somehow, my, my uh, web browser got changed to Yahoo. Uh, I've, never, I've never wanted to do that. I always just put it on, you know, the weather or something because somehow Yahoo figured out how to change my web browser, you know. And, and, and so now, I'm, I, every time I pull up my web browser, it's like, oh, bad, bad, really bad, horrible, bad, bad, in prison, bad, right? I mean, it's just depressing, and now I know that it's there. So here's what she says. She says, worrying about scarcity is our culture's version of post-traumatic stress. It happens when we've been through too much, and rather than coming together to heal, we're angry and scared and at each other's throats. Doesn't that make Jesus' teaching sound way different to you? Don't, don't, worry, don't, don't worry about all the things that you don't have, but that's how we spend our life. I don't have enough. Maybe it's not food for us. Maybe it's something else. Jesus goes on, don't worry about fashion. Don't worry about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food or the body more than clothes? Again, to this culture, uh, you know, they might run out of clothes or clothes might wear out and they might not have anything. I want you to know I have enough Parkview t-shirts to last me till I'm a thousand years old. Don't you? A bunch of you do. You know, I mean, we we hand them out like candy around here. Uh, It's not going to be a real problem for me to find something to wear, right? But I think what Jesus is saying in relation to where we live now is he's saying, look, one of these days you're going to go to the Jerusalem Walmart and you're going to be checking out and you're going to look up at the magazine rack and you're going to see all of these beautiful people. And you're going to be tempted to make your whole life about, oh, I need to lose weight. I got this bad body image. I got fashion. You know, I'm out, I'm out of date. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus, I think Jesus is saying, it's an illusion. And it's a shallow way to live your life. And just so you know, most of those people who appear on those covers are absolutely miserable. Because they're so stressed and worried about so much. 
So learn right now that life is more than temporary things like food and fashion and even finance. I mean, does this look right? Does it fit right? And does it clash with my shoes? Is it my color because I'm a winter? Is this going the right direction? You see what I'm doing here, guys? I'm just trying to help you guys out, okay? When your wife comes to you and says, does this make me look fat? You can say, honey, Jesus said don't worry about your clothes. <laughs> and Quit asking us that question. It's a lose-lose. Don't worry about your finances, your food, your fashion, your future. I think we could lump kind of everything up into here. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? That's a good point, isn't it? So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I guess that's kind of the place it all lands, isn't it? What, what is worry? Somebody said, worry is enjoying a crisis before it arrives. Isn't that true? You're not doing any good. My mom is like this. Mom, I know you're watching. I know you're going to watch this, so I'm sorry. i got to throw you under the bus here. Um, is anybody's mom not a worrier? I guess that's kind of the point. But my mom, man, I mean, she, she worried. About, I think the reason I'm such a reckless person is because my, I, I didn't have to worry about anything because I knew my mom was already worrying about it. You know, so I'll jump out of a plane, I'll jump off the house, whatever, it doesn't matter. Mom will worry about it, right? When my, when my kids were little, we went to California for a, for a trip, and we were going to go to Disneyland. And, and, I mean, I'm talking like late 90s maybe, something like that. Um, there had been an earthquake, you know, recently in California, right? And that Dwayne Johnson movie hadn't even come out yet, but she was all freaked out about, you know, earthquakes and uh, San Andreas Fault, and we're going to be in California, and what happens if the big one happens? I mean, really, really crazy. And, and so what she did was, she's a real estate lady, so she had access to a laminating machine. So she put all, all the pertinent information that she could on one little card and laminated it and made my daughter's wear those cards inside their tennis shoes when we went to Disneyland. In case the big one happened, you know, and we were all separated, you know, and there was a, a big earthquake that, you know, somebody would know where this kid belongs and how it all works. And I can see right now some of you moms are like, dang, that's a good idea. <laughs> I understand. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Imagine how hard it was for me to get a BB gun. I mean, talk about that. Shoot your eye out. That's what I'm talking about. But, but the point of the matter is most of the stuff that we're worried about in the future that keeps us up at night, it's never going to happen. It's pointless. It doesn't make any sense to do it at all. And then again, there's all this stuff that we can't do anything about either, right? I mean, how does it feel to be in election season and none of the above? I mean, how does it feel? Somebody sent me this clip from Third Rock. He's an alien. If you don't remember the show, it's hilarious. He's an alien. He's trying to figure out how to vote. Watch this. There is no choice. My only choice is not to vote at all. Democracy is horrible, absolutely horrible. <laughs> You're so right. Democracy is the worst form of government there is, <gasps> except for all of the others. Oh. And that is exactly why you have to vote. No! Yes! No! Yes! <laughs> if you don't vote, you can't complain. Complaining is all I have left. <laughs> the system isn't perfect, but it's important to participate. Even if you get it wrong, just go to the polls and do what you think is right. Things were so much simpler where I come from. 
There's only one big giant office, and whoever outruns the fireball wins. Is that not how we feel, ladies and gentlemen? Come on. This is, what I'm saying is, uh, and I read this study that suggested on average a person's anxiety focuses on one of these areas. Things that will never happen is about 40%. Okay, 30% are things that happened in the past that can't be altered anyway. 12% is about criticism from others, much of which is probably untrue. And 10% is about our health, which is made worse by worrying about it. So what this study said is really only about 8% of the stuff we worry about are even possibly real problems that might happen. 92% of worry is meaningless. So, Jesus, what should we do? And Jesus uses a beautiful story, a beautiful illustration. I think some birds flew by right about this moment, and he said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Are you not? I mean, why, why is it that birds sing like they do? Because instinctively they know that somebody's going to provide for them. You never hear birds saying, can you believe the price of worms? This is unbelievable. Interest rates are up on insects. I can't believe it. We were going to go south to Florida this winter, but with the economy the way it is, no, they don't do that. And you know what's interesting about birds? Have you ever heard anybody say about like a skinny person, oh, well, you know, they eat like a bird. You're better off saying they eat like a pig. You understand that. Birds eat two to three times their body weight every day. So if anybody ever says that about you, you, now you know a little bit more, right? They eat a ton. They eat more than any other being. And probably every person has heard that saying, but the truth of the matter is birds never stop eating. They, they never stop. And even though birds have to find that much food every day, they don't worry about where to find it. Now, Jesus obviously isn't saying that birds could worry about it if they wanted to, okay? It's just an illustration, but you don't ever hear birds chirping in the middle of the night, and it's because they're asleep. They're not up there pacing back and forth on the tree limbs, worrying about whether there will be any sunflower seeds tomorrow. So I thought about it this week. I thought, you know, let, let, let's figure out some things, some examples that we can take from birds that we can take back to us when we start to have insomnia, okay? First one is, this is not in the passage, but it is true, Birds do work hard. Birds don't sit around in the nest all day waiting for God to drop food into the nest, okay? Early in the morning, remember the early bird gets the worm, right? Early in the morning, they start looking for food. And trusting God does not mean laziness. It does not mean indifference. Jesus said, consider the birds, okay? I've, again, never known a bird that said, you know, well, maybe there were some that said, you know what, I'm not going south this winter. I'm just going to hope that God provides me a nice, warm Chicago winter, they're frozen. They're gone, right? The Bible does not suggest a disregard for tomorrow's problems. As a matter of fact, the Bible says we should plan ahead and we should work hard. Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? 
For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees him will ridicule him. In other words, it's okay to plan ahead. Insurance people in the room, feel comfortable, okay? It's okay. It's a good idea to buy insurance. It's a good idea to plan for retirement. You do need to take care of your own stuff. You better be planning for your kids' education and your daughter's weddings. You better be planning ahead. Let me just give you that, okay? But, but in the middle of it, we are commanded not to worry about it. Jesus said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Birds work hard. Birds trust God to be in control. I mean, we've said this, but it's instinctive in them. And I think my problem with insomnia sometimes, and probably yours, is that I forget that God is in control. I love the allegorical story of Dick Jones, um, just made-up guy. He was a guy who worried up a lot and had uh, a lot of pressure on. And one morning, according to this story, he woke up and and he was sick. And his wife called next door to their doctor friend who lived next door. And he came over and he said, checked him out. He said, dude, I think you got viral pneumonia. All right. I, I don't think there's anything you can do. There's nothing we can do except for you to be able to rest. You'll be fine. It'll work its way through. You've just got to rest. You got to stay in bed for about three days. And Dick Jones, according to the story, said, you, no, you don't understand. I don't have time to be sick. You ever said that? I don't have time. I've got a breakfast meeting. I've got crucial work at the office. I've got a lunch date. I've got three appointments this afternoon. I've got a building committee at the church tonight. There's no way I can be sick today, doctor. I can't do it. And the doctor said, dude, I, Dick, I don't know if anybody is indispensable. I suggest you stay in bed. And as the story goes, at that very moment, his high fever sent him into a trance. And there in that trance, he was looking around heaven. He saw himself looking around heaven, and the angels were all gathered around God and his throne, and everything was in disarray. You could tell that everybody was scrambling, and there were papers being passed, and finally, after some discussion, some angels brought some important-looking papers over to God, and God read them, and he seemed very upset when he read it, and he got up off his throne, and he said, oh, no, oh, no, what will I do? What will I do? And the angels in chorus said, God, what is it? What is it? And God said, what will I do? Dick Jones is sick today. I mean, it's not very far, allegory, is it? I mean, sometimes that's what we think. We forget that God is taking care of us. I mean, think about it. You've generally had enough to eat and enough to wear, almost always had a roof over your head. Even when we didn't, God got us through those hard times. It's a matter of believing his promises and being content with what he has given us. Casey, our spiritual formation pastor, said, don't forget to remind them that that's one of the reasons why Christians have done the spiritual discipline of fasting from time to time. I mean, many of you grew up, you know, giving up meat on Fridays or, or doing during Lent or doing different things along the way, and it was kind of forced upon you, and you didn't really know what it was for. And I want to tell you, if you think that something's, if you think that something else is running your life, alcohol, sugar, you know, your cell phone, whatever it is, there's nothing like fasting from that, like taking some time away from that thing to prove to yourself that you can exist without it and that you can depend on God. That's why we do that. That's what makes worrying a serious sin. It's basically we're accusing God of being a liar. God says, I will meet all your needs according to Christ Jesus. Worry says, I don't believe you You got me covered. God says, all things are going to work for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Worry says, I don't believe everything's going to work out for my good. Jesus said, I am with you always. Worry says, I think I'm by myself. I'm all alone. I don't believe you. 
There's a, another plaque that says, Lord, help me to remember that nothing is going to happen to me today that you and I can't handle together. And that's what you've got to remember. Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? I mean, in other words, there's plenty of sparrows around. Not like they're a big deal. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Birds work hard. Okay? They trust God to be in control. And they also live one day at a time. Jesus said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is being practical. He's being realistic. He said there will be trouble tomorrow. We do know there will be trouble tomorrow. Somebody said the shortest distance between two points is always under construction, right? And we're getting ready to experience that in Chicago summer, right? We understand that. But but the truth of the matter is birds do die. Sparrows do fall to the ground. Jesus didn't say that they don't. He said the Father knows about them. And tragedies happen to Christian people. Our parents still get Alzheimer's. Our children have accidents. Our health breaks. Our companies go bankrupt. Jesus said each day will have trouble enough of its own. I'm starting to sound like our sermon bumper video. You know, this is depressing. No, no, listen. We're not promised exemption from problems. We're promised the resources to cope with them. Back when the children of Israel were marching around the desert and they had no way of getting any food, God provided food. And one of the things that was very important was that they were told they could only gather enough food for one day. That manna, they could only have food for one day. And if they kept it overnight, it would spoil automatically. And then on the, on the sixth day, when they weren't supposed to go out on the seventh day, he gave them a double portion and they were able to keep it for the next day. But that's how God does it. And he is faithful, the Bible says. He will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The problem is he's going to do it now, not for now, for tomorrow. Okay. If if today's pressure scale is a 6 on a scale of 1 to 10, then God is going to give you 6 resources. I'm always blown away when I'm with people who have gone through a a tragedy of some kind. and, And it just seems like it's unbelievable how God is working in their life and how much encouragement they're feeling. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm thinking, man, there's no way I would be doing as well as they are if I was going through that. But then I know that's not true. Because... Ten days ago, they wouldn't have been able to do it either. And and next year, they wouldn't have been able to do it either. God gives you what you need in that moment. If you get a six on a scale of one to ten, then he's going to give you six. If tomorrow is an eight, he's going to give you eight. But if you steal three of the six from today, worrying about the eight that might be coming tomorrow, you're never going to make it through today. That's what I'm talking about. And there's just so much we can't possibly understand. We have to do it one day at a time. Sometimes I lie awake at night and wonder, where have I gone wrong? And then a voice says, this is going to take more than one night. You just can't possibly understand. So what do we do? What's the answer? Seek first. I started the ministry season back in August with this scripture, unpacking it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's the verse in between this verse. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see how that works? You want the answer to insomnia? Ironically, it's daring faith. 
That's, that's really what it is. It's what we've been talking about around here for the last seven weeks. It's about knowing who's in charge and knowing that he's going to be okay and he doesn't need your help to run the universe and seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is really comfortable, okay? But let me illustrate. Let me preach from my weakness. I just need to shoot straight with you. My job is awesome. I love it. No possible way I'd want to do anything else. And when I told you that doing my fifth initiative to raise funds to do ministry, to build this campus in New Lenox, and to do the things that we're doing, I wasn't lying. And I was grateful to be able to give more from our resources because I know God's going to bless it. And I was really grateful to be able to push you to grow spiritually so that you could take a daring step of faith because God is going to blow your mind when he shows up in ways that you can't possibly imagine. But it's the hardest thing I ever do. It's harder than funerals. It's harder than saying goodbye to long-term staff. It's harder than anything else I do in ministry. I wrote an article on it for, about it for a church leadership magazine, and I said doing, doing one of these campaigns is kind of like being a parent and having to make your kids come in from playing outside on a really nice day so that they can do their homework. That's what it feels like. You know it's the right thing to do. And you know it's good for them in the long run. And you know you're going to be in trouble if at some point you don't do it. But it's never easy. And there's this really difficult balance between challenging the faithful and not running off the people that you exist to reach. Uh, So if you're back and I ran you off, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, It was really hard. And looking back, I honestly think I've changed some things about the way we did Daring Faith. But the biggest problem is the spiritual warfare. And I don't tend to spiritualize things that much, but there is a ton of spiritual warfare. Uh, What I mean by that is that the evil one does not want me to talk to you about your treasure and your heart because he knows that might encourage you to have a deeper faith and he doesn't want that and he doesn't want us to plant a campus in New Lenox because he knows that we're going to get thousands of people that are going to come and find hope in, in Jesus because of that. And he doesn't want us planting a church in the Dominican or Brazil or training pastors in Malawi. He doesn't want that. So he attacks the hardest. Probably second hardest when I preach about marriage and the hardest whenever we talk about money. And I could feel it. So after commitment weekend, week before last, I had to preach live at all six services so we could get this done. And then I had to jump on a plane Monday morning at 7.45 at O'Hare and I was just fried. And then I got some incomplete information about how things were coming in with the campaign. And honestly, I started sitting in this chair. Right, probably about noon, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I started sitting in this chair. After preaching seven weeks about daring faith, I started going, uh-oh, what if we don't make it? What, what if we don't have enough? What, what, what if we have to stop the new Linux campus? What, what if we can't do the things that we were going to do? I, and I started having these feelings like maybe we, maybe we struck out. This isn't, this isn't, what if this didn't go well? That's why I'm sitting in this chair. I'm just being honest with you. After all that time, after being a believer and living in the life of C, you hear me talk about all the time, I went and lived in A, just, just like everybody else does. And I had a couple of pretty bad nights. And thankfully, I was with some of my 
best ministry friends who kept me grounded and um, they didn't mind that I said some things I shouldn't have and uh, I didn't do anything that I shouldn't have and I kept working through this and eventually I had to ask myself, well, let's go back because I knew I was going to preach this message too. Did I work hard? Did we do everything that God was asking us to do? And I think we did. And I started to realize that I was operating in the same lack of faith that I've been preaching to you guys about for seven weeks. And I can't say that I had some epiphany and that God all of a sudden just showered me with all this encouragement and I just became a little bird chirping off into the wilderness, walking down the yellow brick road, whistling with my friends. That didn't help me immediately. But the thing that helped me the most was realizing that honestly, we didn't have all the information and realizing that we were going to make it, that this was going to be okay. I just, I mean, honestly, the best thing that I heard was that we were okay. The best thing I didn't, it wasn't that I heard that God was in the throne. It was that you guys were good and we're good and everything's going to work out. That was the best thing. And the nice thing about having done this before was to realize that sometimes God works in spite of our lack of faith anyway. And sometimes God just shows up in ways that we, this is what I've been telling you. Well, he shows up in ways that we can't possibly imagine, like our Homer campus, like the house that was given to the safe house so that it could, it could rescue girls. None of that was something that we could have planned on. That's why we're supposed to trust in a God who runs the universe. And I'm sitting in this chair just to be honest to tell you that I do it too. Every once in a while I do it too. And I was reading this book this week, and, it, and she said, the counter-approach to living in scarcity is not about abundance. In fact, I think abundance and scarcity are two sides of the same coin. The opposite of never enough is an abundance. The opposite of scarcity is enough. Is God enough? If he is enough, then we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that we've been hoping and planning for, and all these things that we had no idea about, the life of sea, the life that we couldn't have dreamed of, that gets added to us. And if we feel like losing sleep, if we feel like being anxious about the things that are going on, that's, that's not just my problem. It's getting in the way of my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Is he enough? Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for the fact that you are enough. And I'm sorry for the fact that I forgot that. And sometimes I think it's up to me. Sometimes I think it's up to people. Sometimes I think it's up to circumstances. And I forget that it's always up to you. And there's no reason worrying about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to have trouble. I know that but you're going to give us what we need for tomorrow. That's the key. That's the difference for us, is knowing that you're in charge and that you are enough. So, Lord, we come to you right now, and, and we just, we all admit that we sit in this chair too often, and we rock, and we worry, and we're anxious. And today we'd like for you to take that off of our shoulders and remind us that you are enough. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.